Hi, and welcome to Long Live the Queen, where we talk about the women who made history. And by we, I mean the royal we, because it's just me. This week, our subject is Disney's Robin Hood. We're doing something a little different today. I'm going to talk about Disney's Robin Hood, the facts and the fiction. And oodalali, oodalali, golly, what a day. Robin Hood was not necessarily a real man. People have tried to figure it out, and some ideas have been put forth, but no definitive answer has yet been found. He started as kind of a troublemaker who turned into a folktale of a man who has championed the people against the corrupt government, and is likely an amalgamation of a few different people. He didn't necessarily start by robbing the rich to give to the poor. He was just kind of a troublemaking guy who, like other people, were sick of their government, as it were. Eventually, it morphed into him stealing from the rich to give to the poor. In one of the earlier stories, Little John beheaded someone. Disney left that part out. King Richard the Lionheart was already on crusade, and he needed a lot of money to go on crusade. He infamously said he would sell London to be able to go on a crusade. He got a lot of money by allowing Scotland to buy their freedom back because they were kind of an underlord of England at the time. King Richard did not leave his brother in charge because nobody wanted John in charge. But with him away on crusade, John kind of went for it. The people were unhappy with the regent, the chancellor, William de Longchamp. He was regent. And crusades were expensive. The Chancellor was the highest member of the Royal Council. If you have watched or read anything Tudor-related, think Thomas Wolseley or Sir Thomas More. They were both Chancellor for King Henry VIII. So Richard's Wolsey was named Longchamp, and Longchamp wasn't a popular guy. He was Norman, like William the Conqueror. He likely didn't speak English and was just seen as very, very French. So King Richard was off on crusade with King Philip of France, and Prince John was back in England, claiming to be a better option than the unpopular regent. But John was greedy and wanted higher taxes. This whole drama would eventually lead to the Magna Carta. The movie opens up with a wandering minstrel, a rooster. I think that may be the perfect animal to play a wandering minstrel. Have you been around roosters? They crow from sunup to sundown all day long. Very minstrel-like. And a wandering minstrel is a perfect storyteller for Robin Hood. Kings and nobles with a lot of money would pay wandering minstrels to travel around and sing their praises. He was a medieval hype man. Some wandering minstrels would just sing about tales they had heard. It was their version of pop songs. The rooster minstrel's name was Alan Adale. Alan Dale, according to legend, was a wandering minstrel who joined Robin Hood's band of merry men. The movie starts, we see Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest, laughing back and forth at what the other one has to say. Reminiscing this and that and having such a good time. Oodalali, oodalali, golly, what a day. Never ever thinking there was danger in the water. They were drinking, they just guzzled it down. Never dreaming that the scheming sheriff and his posse was a watching them and gathering around. 
So now Robin Hood and Little John were running through the forest, jumping fences, dodging trees, and trying to get away, contemplating nothing but escape and finally making it oodle-ally, oodle-ally, golly, what a day. Robin Hood, in this version, is played by a fox, a clever and wily fox, and Little John is a bear. Little John may look familiar. Disney's The Jungle Book had come out just six years earlier, and Little John looks a lot like Baloo. Disney had learned how to draw bears, and they weren't going to let it go. Disney loves bears. Blue, Little John, Winnie, and we can't forget Brother Bear or Brave. Her mom turned into a bear. Little John's appearance, though, was almost an exact copy and paste of Baloo, and this wouldn't be the last time we get Jungle Book vibes. Back to the movie. Robin Hood and Little John have beef with the Sheriff of Nottingham. That was the general theme of the Robin Hood folk stories. Finally safe, they were talking about the risks that they were taking. They are risking hanging, and that used to be a real fear for anyone on the wrong side of the law, no matter how unfair that law may be. Then we see Prince John on progress. In the movie, he's off tax collecting. That would be unusual for King to do his own tax collecting. But John really did love taxes, so you never know. Progress would have been something he probably did. The royals would go on progress over the summers. There were a couple of reasons for progress. Firstly, after the winter, the castles were pretty grimy. If the royals went out, it would give the servants time to clean everything out with no one in the way. And in the summer, the weather would be good enough for them to stay away for months, but also to let people see them. People were more likely to follow a man that they had seen or felt like they knew. So it was kind of a PR building trip, and Prince John would have needed PR. His brother, the king, was away on crusade and at some point went missing because he was captured. John wanted to be regent and he wanted to be the heir. But King Richard and Prince John had a nephew, young Prince Arthur. He was still a child. Arthur's father had died, but he had been Joffrey, the younger brother of King Richard and the older brother of Prince John, putting him closer to the throne under primogeniture. While Richard was in captivity, his brother, Prince John, did start a rebellion and held up at Nottingham Castle. So this is sort of an amalgamation of all those things. Prince John is a lion, a small lion, because he's the younger brother of Richard the Lionheart. So he's the smaller lion. It's kind of genius. His advisor was Sir Hiss. Sir Hiss is supposed to represent the prince's poor advisors, because you couldn't blame the rulers for their own faults. It was always their advisors' faults. The snake, in this case, had the ability to hypnotize. It's our second nod to the Jungle Book. Sir Hiss and Ka have similarities, too. They are both snakes that can hypnotize people. One time, when my nephew came to the zoo with us, we were looking at the wolves, and he asked, Why do we keep looking at the bad guy animals? Some animals can get a bad rep, and I think snakes are probably in that category. Sir Hiss was in his reputation era. Sir Hiss mentions that it's a good thing that he hypnotized the king into going on crusade. That's kind of a nod to how fanatical King Richard was about going on crusade. The third crusade, to be exact. And as I mentioned before, he would stop at nothing to raise the money. The Second Crusade, 40 years before, had gone pretty poorly for the invading Europeans. 
The North Africans had come together against them in a kind of coalition, and they were getting the unity thing a little better than the Europeans of the time. For the Third Crusade, England and France and the Holy Roman Empire were going to team up. A snake hypnotizing him is an easy way to explain to children about how fanatical King Richard was about his journey. While on their PR trip slash rebellion slash tax collection journey, they ran into a disguised Robin Hood and Little John, dressed as fortune tellers. Back then, witchcraft was not permitted, but fortune telling was okay, as long as what you foretold to the royals and nobles was positive. Negative fortunes would be seen as ill-wishing the royals, and that was sometimes treason. Prince John wanted to stop because he'd probably never had a bad fortune in his life. Who wouldn't want to stop? Sir Hiss was trying to advise the prince against stopping, as any good advisor would, but Prince John wouldn't listen because Prince John doesn't listen. Maybe it was because he was the youngest child, but he had a reputation for being kind of a childish man-baby. So that's why in the Disney version, he throws tantrums and sucks his thumb. And the crown is too big for his head. It was his older brother's crown, King Richard the Lionheart. And this was just his dumb little brother. And that's a good way to portray that to the kids watching. Prince John complained that his mother always liked his brother, King Richard, better than him. And this was absolutely true. Richard and John's mother was Eleanor of Aquitaine. She was a whole vibe. She may have been the first ever Eleanor in history, like the first one. She had been Queen of England, but then there were some marital problems. Eleanor and her three oldest sons, Henry, Richard, and Joffrey, rebelled against the king. John, who was young and still living with his father, stayed with his father. And his father won. All of John's brothers came back and apologized and were forgiven, and Queen Eleanor was imprisoned. She was not forgiven probably because of the marital issues. Henry and Joffrey had died, so when their father died also, it was King Richard's turn. He had his mother immediately released from prison. When he got there to make sure she was released, she had already been released. and was like, oh shoot, let's just do this now. He didn't have to go at all. She was just released already. John may have been a little jealous of his mother's relationship with his older brother, King Richard who was openly his mother's favorite son. During the Robin Hood fortune-telling, Robin Hood says, your name will go down, down, down in history. All I heard was, in the future, you'll become King John, the first and last, because your reputation is about to tank. The Magna Carta was to restrain King John from being way too extra. He would not be a good king. At one point, the Sheriff of Nottingham told one of the peasants that Prince John had said, taxes should hurt. He didn't say that exactly, but his actions screamed it. The man was a little greedy. Then we see the birthday party with the rabbit family and all the cuteness. And the sheriff of Nottingham comes by and basically robs children. Rude. But Robin Hood in disguise comes in. And when the sheriff leaves, Robin Hood is all, hey guys, it's me. And gives the birthday bunny Skippy a bow and arrow. The birthday bunny was only seven, but that would have been old enough for a bow and arrow. Then Robin Hood leaves to go do Robin Hoody things. The kids go out to play with the bow and arrow and end up dangerously close to Nottingham Castle. 
This castle was actually used by Prince John when his brother was off on crusade. He was trying to whip up a rebellion against his brother while his brother was busy on crusade. The kids accidentally shot an arrow over the castle walls into Prince John's backyard, like a kid whose ball goes over the fence into the grumpy neighbors. And Skippy sneaks in to retrieve it after making his friend swear not to tattletale or he'll die till he's dead. In Prince John's backyard, Maid Marian was playing badminton with her lady-in-waiting, Lady Cluck. Maid Marian in this version is also a fox because she has a thing with Robin Hood. And he's also a fox, so it's Disney foreshadowing. Lady Cluck is a Scottish hen and Maid Marian's maybe only lady-in-waiting. Am I the only one who hopes that Alan Dale and Lady Cluck get together? They would be cute. And they're both chickens, after all. And all of that is more realistic than anyone playing badminton 650 years before it was invented. But good luck explaining Skittles, not the candy, to kids, I guess. So badminton it is. They don't give a reason to why Maid Marian is at Nottingham Castle with Prince John. But they do call King Richard her uncle. In most stories, she's portrayed as the orphan ward of King Richard. To be a ward of the crown, she would have to have been an orphan noble child. And as a woman, she would be a ward of the crown until the crown arranged her marriage, with a dowry and whatever lands and titles she may have had. Again, calling him an uncle gets the point across without going into the whole explanation of wardships in the Middle Ages. Same vibe, really. The maid would indicate that she was still unmarried. Though noble girls at that time got married at the age of 12 to 15 usually, so she probably would have been married, but who wants to get into all that in a children's movie? We find out that Robin Hood and Maid Marian had a situationship back in the day. They didn't kiss because they can't say they didn't bang, and she is, after all, still a maid. And we kind of get the impression that she's there as sort of bait to catch the infamous Robin Hood. Prince John is throwing an archery tournament as bait for Robin Hood. The prize is going to be a golden arrow and a kiss from Maid Marian. In some stories, it's a silver arrow. But the general story says that Robin Hood was a fairly advanced archer and would not be able to turn this tournament down. And he couldn't. He dressed up along with Little John in disguises again to attend the tournament. Prince John says what he calls a Norman phrase, coup d'etat. Funny, because the region he was fighting with for power was a Norman and unpopular because of it. And later, when Prince John was king, one of the main reasons he raised taxes so high was to get Normandy back from the king of France. Sir Hiss gets shooed off to go find Robin Hood and leave the prince alone. He ends up flying around in a helium balloon. I would talk about all the inaccuracies, but I don't think I need to. I loved it as a kid. I was like, how is that snake so freaking smart? We have to stop him. But Friar Tuck does that for us and shoves him in an ale barrel. Meanwhile, Robin Hood is in the archery tournament, going bullseye, 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 because he's a next level archer. And we find out that Robin is in the finals, along with his number one rival, the Sheriff of Nottingham. High drama ensues, the Sheriff cheats, but it isn't enough to stop Robin Hood, who shoots an arrow into his own arrow, which then splits the sheriff's arrow. 
The splitting the arrow thing often happens in variations of Robin Hood. It's to prove what an above average archer he is. And five-year-old me picked up on that. I was like, he is good. At some point, someone calls Prince John your highness. That wouldn't have happened because the term your highness didn't exist until the next King Richard, King Richard II, and he wouldn't be king for another almost 200 years. Robin wins. Prince John is on to him, though, sees right through his disguise. And just as he is accepting his reward, Prince John cuts off his disguise. And OMG, it's Robin Hood. So he's going to die, according to Prince John, immediately. Maid Marian intercedes. Interceding was a common thing at the time, though not usually by orphan words of the crown. Sometimes the king and queen would make a deal. Edward III and Philip of Haino did it often. King Edward would demand a punishment, and then Queen Philippa would beg for leniency, allowing the queen to look kind and generous, and allowing the king to look tough, but also like he loved his wife, so he had no choice but to be lenient this time. And Prince John agrees to let Robin go, which is very out of character for him, but we find out that's just because little John is behind the scenes forcing John to do it. That makes more sense. Prince John would never listen to a ward of the crown interceding. The Sheriff of Nottingham finds Little John and more chaos ensues. Cue the slapstick comic relief fight. During this fight, Robin Hood tells Maid Marian they'll have six children, and she says a dozen at least. Six to twelve children would have been an average family size for that time, and they are, after all, foxes, so the babies would come four to five at a time in a litter. So girlfriend's only got to be pregnant three-ish times and she's done. As they are escaping, they shout a pox on Prince John. This was too early for this specific insult, but in the 17th century, calling a pox on someone was an actionable offense. The French pox was sexually transmitted. It was a pretty bad insult, and women would lose marriage prospects over an insult like that in about 400 years. But that doesn't make the song bad. It's time to celebrate in Sherwood Forest and a group song. Oh, the world will sing of an English king a thousand years from now. Well, 800 years, but that doesn't have the same ring to it. And not because he passed some laws or had a lofty brow, because he was famous for being bad. While Bonnie Good King Richard leads the great crusade he's on, that's a stretch because the crusades weren't a good look, but the English people were on board at the time. We'll have to slave away for that good-for-nothing John. Accurate. Incredible as he is inept, whenever the history books are kept, they'll call him the phony king of England. A pox on the phony king of England. They didn't like him, and he didn't go down well in history, so they weren't wrong. He sits alone on a giant throne, pretending he's the king. A little tyke who's rather like a puppet on a string. That was kind of his reputation. The little troublemaking brother of the good King Richard. And he throws an angry tantrum if he cannot have his way. And then he calls for mum while sucking his thumb. You see, he doesn't want to play. He probably didn't do all of that public thumb sucking stuff, but he was kind of seen as the tantrum guy. Too late to be known as John the First, he's sure to be known as John the Worst, a pox on that phony king of England. I mean, he was both John the First and Last, but John the First and Worst works too. 
while he taxes us to pieces and he robs us of our bread. King Richard's crown keeps slipping down around that pointed head. John liked himself a good tax increase. The crown probably fit him fine. He was a grown-up man, but he wasn't king, so he wouldn't have had a crown. Ah, but while there is a merry man in Robin's wily pack, we'll find a way to make him pay and steal our money back. A minute before he knows we're there, old Raw will snatch his underwear. Robin Hood was depicted as a champion of the people in a time when Prince John was robbing them blind. And champions of the people always make good folk stories. The breezy and uneasy king of England. The sniveling, groveling, measly, weasley, blabbering, jabbering, gibbering, jabbering, blundering, plundering, wheeling, dealing, Prince John, the phony king of England. And that about sums it up. So, John, he liked money. And if you couldn't pay your taxes, you went to prison. Debtor's prison. And that is where we find all of our friendly neighborhood peasants. Times were rough in England before the Magna Carta got John under control. We see Friar Tuck in his little church along with his church mice. No one is there because a lot of them are in prison, and in any case, people are too poor to pay their tithing. The church mice give Friar Tuck their only farthing. A farthing was worth one quarter of a penny. It was literally the least valuable coin they could have had. But Friar Tuck says that their last farthing is the most that anyone could give. Imagine if you only had a quarter of a penny and you donated it. But then the good old Sheriff of Nottingham shows up to shake more people down, kids, churches, he has no shame. And of course, he takes the last farthing. The sheriff and the friar fight, and the friar is arrested and sentenced to death as yet another baited trap for Robin Hood. The sheriff is having gallows built because you need gallows to hang someone, and he calls Friar Tuck the corpulent cleric. Rude. No need for fat shaming. Robin Hood comes in, again in disguise, this time as a blind beggar asking for alms for the poor. Alms would be the coins that nobles, and more usually noble women, would have that were designated to hand out to the poor. Queens who passed out alms to the poor tended to be pretty popular. Robin Hood and Little John arrive to save the peasants and Friar Tuck from prison. And while they are there, they also steal all of the money. The theory being that John was getting all of that money through corrupt means. And Robin wasn't so much stealing as righting a wrong of a corrupt government. He was rebelling against the rebellion. They got almost all of the money and then, as usual, decided they needed every last piece of gold. And, as usual, chaos ensues. Nottingham Castle then catches fire, and Prince John gets upset about destroying his mother's castle. Nottingham Castle was, in fact, the castle that Eleanor of Aquitaine was imprisoned in by her husband after trying to depose him. So it was kind of her castle. But her son, King Richard, had released her, and I don't think she was too pumped to return. The peasants and Little John get away. Robin had a harder time, but he narrowly escapes, as usual. You just can't keep that guy down. We kind of fast forward then, past King Richard being captured while on crusade, past the Queen Mother Eleanor of Aquitaine starting a medieval GoFundMe to raise the funds to get him out. Special thanks to the King of Scotland for being the biggest donor to this GoFundMe. And then past King Richard returning to England to end the problems that his brother, Prince John, had created in his absence. 
In our Disney movie, all the villains are put into some kind of work camp. In reality, Prince John fled. His brother, King Richard, found him about a year later and basically said, this is just my dumb kid brother. He doesn't mean anything by it. He's just a stupid kid. He was 27, but he was also the baby of the family, so I don't know. Then we see Robin Hood and Maid Marian get married. I don't want to ruin the story, but that would not happen. If she was a noble ward of the crown, she would have a decent dowry, and she wouldn't be allowed to marry an outlaw, even if that outlaw had been pardoned by the king. But it does make for a good story. The movie ends there. But if it hadn't, King Richard reigned for another five years or so, and then he died by getting shot through the shoulder by a crossbow bolt, and then his arm went gangrenous. Long story shorter, the crossbow shooter was only a child who claimed that King Richard had killed his father and brothers and he just wanted revenge. Everyone expected King Richard to kill him, but he didn't. He knew by this point that he was dying and he pardoned the youth and then died. A bounty hunter then went to find the boy and killed him, so the story didn't end as well as we would have hoped. And then the king was dead. Who would be the next king? King Richard had named both his nephew, Prince Arthur, and his brother, Prince John, as heirs at various times. So there was a fight, but not long. Prince John captured his nephew, Prince Arthur, and had him disappeared. And Prince John became King John the first and last. His legacy isn't great. He kept raising taxes for war, but then not successfully warring. The people were angry. The Magna Carta was a band-aid for that problem. It didn't go well. King Johnson became King Henry III. And if we follow that line down, John was the three times great-grandfather of King Edward III. If you've listened to my other episodes, you already know how I feel about King Edward III. And if you haven't, go back to my very first episode. It's about Edward III's mother, Isabella of France, and she was a badass, a dramatic badass. And that is where we will leave it for now. I hope you enjoyed this episode, something a little different, but I had fun. The five-year-old me would approve. You can share your thoughts with me or ideas for other movies to cover at longlivethequeenpodcast at gmail.com or on Facebook or Instagram at longlivethequeenpodcast. And if you like this episode, the best thing you can do for me is share it with your friends. And if you hated it, share it with your enemies. I'm not picky. Long live to all the queens out there. And until next week, bye. He infamously said he would sell London to be able to go on a cruise. Cruise. He didn't go on a cruise. He went on a crusade. <laughs>